We're going to transition now to our time of worship through the Word of God this morning. Uh, for those of you who are uh, newer or checking grace out here, we are walking through the book of John, the Gospel of John. Good news about Jesus in, uh, in uh, the Gospel of John here. Looking at light in the darkness, how Jesus comes to give us truth, to liberate us, and set us free. Today we're going to be in John chapter 2. Verses 13 through 25. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn there. We have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you if you would like to follow along. While you're turning there, I'm going to kind of set things up here. Um, we, we all have parents. We've had parents. Um, or you are a parent. Or maybe you've been in charge of kids in some way, shape, or form. And, and you've been in that situation where, where all of us have, have, have been the recipients of of, of some, some harsh, uh, uh, stern kinds of intervention, we'll put it, by a parent. Where we had to come out and say, no, stop, don't do that. Where there's this intense moment and it sounds like anger and it's, and, and, and it can feel really startling and scary because there's this intensity of a voice raised and the loudness because, because there's a need to protect. Whether that's a little child getting ready to put their hand on the hot stove. No, stop, don't touch. It'll hurt you. Child may be running out to grab a ball that goes into the middle of the street and the, and the cars might hit them. Stop, don't. We have to get loud. We get intense. It's not because that we're upset with the child, but because we... We care, right? Sometimes we have to get intense. Our love and our care and our compassion causes us to get intense. Even angry, if you will, for the sake of care and concern for those that we love. And in our passage today, we're going to see an intensity of Jesus a zealousness is how the scripture puts it. A jealousy, a, 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 an anger, a righteous anger for the holiness of God and for our hearts because he cares. We can be uncomfortable with these intense moments, uncomfortable with anger. And, and, and in a predominantly Scandinavian place, we don't get emotional around here. Try to keep things on the level. (laughs) Jesus, as we see in today's passage, so we're going to jump in here. We're going to see Jesus is jealous for you. He's jealous for the holiness of God. He's jealous for our hearts. Let's jump in here. John 2, 13. So the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. 
And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture And the word that Jesus had spoken. Let's pray, friends, as we receive God's word. Holy Spirit, open our hearts. As we see Jesus here in your words and and your scriptures, the account of you and your zeal, O God, for the Father's house, let it not be lost on us today that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts. Move in us today. We respond, Jesus, to your zeal. We respond to your jealousy, O God. Let it not fall on just dead ears or dead hearts. Let us be made alive. In your name we pray. Amen. So we get to this passage here in the portion of John. Jesus has just uh, uh, completed or, or, or just demonstrated his power and glory by turning water into wine. He said his first sign that John wants to record. Now remember, John is very clear that his purpose for writing to us and recording these things down is to show us Jesus is God. He has a very clear purpose and he set out from the very beginning to be very intentional about this. Jesus is God, not just a good man. Not just a prophet and a king. He's God. So we come into the beginning of Jesus' ministry now. And we get the first time that John records us in his ministry now. Going into Jerusalem and it's a time of Passover. Now John again, super intentional about pointing everything out here. That Jesus is the fulfillment of so many things. Jesus is the fulfillment of things in the first half of the Bible we call the Old Testament. John is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience and he's, and he's trying to help them see Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you read about and you knew and you heard about growing up in Sunday school and in church. So it was the Passover of the Jews that Jesus shows up with his disciples as they go to Jerusalem. And they're in the temple. Let me just pause here to just make a few comments of scene setting with the, the Passover and the temple. The Passover was a significant feast in a reminder of the identity of the Jews and their history. The Passover was this celebration of their liberation, being set free from slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. It was after a significant event that they were set free. And it was the night that God had sent the angel of death into Egypt. 
And only those were saved who had the blood of a spotless lamb spread over the doorposts of their homes. The blood of a spotless lamb was what was necessary to save them from death. Those who were covered by the blood of the lamb were saved. Earlier, John, the disciple, records John the Baptist saying this as he sees Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, more than any other gospel, records every Passover that Jesus is a part of. The other gospels only record the one at the end of Jesus' life. John wants us to be thinking and have in mind what what John the Baptist has already said. Jesus is the Lamb. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. The blood of the Lamb will save us. In addition, Jesus at the temple now. The temple, what was that? For, the, for some of you who, who, who maybe aren't familiar with the, the scriptures or didn't grow up in the church, the, the, the temple for the Jews was, was central to their identity. The temple was the space where God met with man, where God dwelt among the people. And he was in this most holy place inside the temple. And the temple was the place where the sacrifices were made to make us right with God because we are broken, sinful people. Sin required death. And so there were sacrifices in, order, in the part of worship before God in order to make us right with God. And that happened at the temple. The temple was the presence of God. The temple was the space of worshiping God. And the temple was the place where people were made right with God. A holy God. In order for these sacrifices to be made, people would come from all over the place in Jerusalem. Now these sacrifices involved uh, lambs, uh, uh, animals, pigeon. There was even a a certain kind of money for financial offerings that were given. And and so there was money changing that was necessary. And people would come from, uh, you know, seven days walk. If they came as far as Nazareth, like Jesus and his disciples did, it was a seven days walk. They weren't going to carry their lamb or their cow or their chickens all that way. And so they would buy those sacrifices when they got to Jerusalem. Now earlier, these, 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 uh, uh, um, the, the selling of these animals for sacrifices was done outside of the city. It was done outside of Jerusalem. But over the years, for convenience sake, because we like convenience, right? We like that gas station just down the street so we can go get those flaming Hot Cheetos and Mountain Dew, right? We like convenience, We have so much industry in our world built around convenience. Well, the Jews weren't any different. They are human beings like us. And so let's just move the the selling of those sacrifices and the changing of that money. Let's just move it right outside the temple, right? It's convenient. And so they did. That space that was sacred and dedicated for the worship of God. Holy God 
was filled now, not with with the solemnity, not with the, the silence of prayer, not with the seriousness of worship, but with this loud cacophony of ah, the clucking of chickens and the hustle of people back and forth and the clinking of money and changing. There was no sacred space now. Because of their convenience. Jesus comes in. To the temple. Sees. Hears. Everything. As it's set up. Not as God had instructed them. To guide their hearts. And. Restoring. Refreshing. Renewing. Because we need that. That's why we're here. This space here on Sunday mornings, we do the same thing. It's just to reset us. We need to be reminded about what's really important. Who is really important? This space is created and set up in certain ways to turn our hearts and move our hearts in that direction. And, And Jesus shows up and he sees this is not how God had instructed his people. And his passion for his father his devotion to his holiness and his worship, his jealousy for the hearts of his people is inflamed. And he gets intense. He creates a whip out of, out of cords and he starts to drive the people out. It wasn't the whip. It was, it was his passion that drove people out. You know, imagine the people just following along with the, with, with, the, with, the, with the livestock running out. Because that's what their hearts and their hearts had been reduced to. Just beasts and animals just living instinctually and not out of worship. Just living for our convenience, living for ourselves, not for his honor. Jesus is jealous for the purity of God's house out of love for the Father and out of love for us. Jesus has this intense display. You can imagine the disciples and their reaction of like, oh, that just got a little bit awkward. You can imagine them just kind of distancing themselves from Jesus. Like, I don't know if I want to know. I'm not, I don't know if, I don't know if I want to be associated with him or not. He just kind of took it to another level. It just got awkward in here. Jesus wasn't misappropriating his anger. It wasn't an overreaction. His jealousy is not like our jealousy. Like that of a jealous lover, if you will, who might get vengeful or who might be insecure and, and overreact or seek vengeance. Jesus isn't like that. His anger is completely appropriate. His passion is appropriate for the situation. 
It was out of love. It's hard for us to conceive that. We don't handle, we don't deal with anger well as human beings. It tends to become selfish and self-centered and, 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 and can be abusive. We don't, we, don't, we don't handle that very well. We don't like it. It's very uncomfortable. But this is appropriate. This, this, this intense display of Jesus purging, of cleansing the temple. By, this is my father's house. You will not make it into a house of trade. It's spoken of in the prophets, if you, as you can... If you can imagine, he's fulfilling prophecy of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3 says this. Behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way for, before me. Imagine who that is. John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. The prophet Malachi, hundreds of years before, spoke about God's coming to to purify his people, to purify our worship. When it's talking about Levi, the tribe of Levi was a particular people among the Jews that was set aside to lead in worship. The refining of gold and silver, that process was to remove impurities Through the intensity of fire and heat. And in Jesus' passion, he drives out our self-centeredness. Jesus is jealous for God's holiness and for our hearts. In Exodus, it speaks of this jealousy elsewhere directly. It says, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. This word zeal here is also translated jealous. Once again, this isn't some irrational, self-centered, insecure kind of jealousy, but a right and righteous jealousy for what is good for us. That our hearts love and know and worship the one true God that we are created for. We must not make any mistake That God is gracious. That Jesus shows us grace and mercy. That he eats with sinners. That he's a friend of sinners. Does not in any way minimize the seriousness with which he takes sin. And us worshiping anything else but God. We cannot let the grace of God cause us to minimize his holiness. And his worthiness. And we can trust that in his passion and zeal for you and I. That when he comes with his righteous anger for us. With his jealousy for us. That his 
wounding of us is to heal us. His turning over the tables in our hearts is to clean us from corruption. C.S. Lewis, great author and thinker, Christian thinker, wrote a, a children's fiction series called The Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you have heard of The Chronicles of Narnia? If you don't know about the powerful, great stuff, you need to read it. And one of the most famous books is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Jesus is, is symbolized by the lion named Aslan. And these characters of Lucy and, 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 and uh, uh, her brother and sister Susan and, and uh, I forget the other dude. Anyways, they're in the beaver's house and huts and they hear for the first time this guy Aslan, he's a lion. And they're frightened. And the question comes up, is he safe? Is he safe? And the beaver says, safe, of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's good. He's the king. Our God, friends. Jesus, he is a jealous God. He is not safe. You see, we will all be judged for our sin. Wrath will come because he's a just God, but he's good. And he himself underwent the wrath of God for you and I. He's good. His discipline for you and I, friends. If he comes to turn over the tables in your life because he wants to get at your heart, it's because he's good. He's good. The Jews react to the anger and display that Jesus shows in verse 18. Say, what sign are you going to show to to prove and authenticate you have the the right to do this and say these things? And, And Jesus responds, I will destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Jesus here, as we can see thousands of years later as the omniscient readers, we understand he's not talking about the physical temple. As they mentioned, it took us 43, 46 years. We're not even done with it. How are you going to destroy this and build it back up? Jesus used a special word for temple. Not the common word that refers to the whole entire structure. He used the term that referred to commonly the Holy of Holies. The sanctuary would God dwelled in the temple. Not just the temple complex as a whole. He used the word for the holy of holies. This temple. Because he is the presence of God. Right? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So because God's presence, because Jesus is God's presence with us, he replaces the temple. As the dwelling place of the holy God. The temple, the physical buildings cease to have any relevance anymore. Because God is with us. And Jesus' infleshing, his God becoming a human being, is the shift from God dwelling in a building to God dwelling in us. 
We are those temples, friend. We are the temple of God. The disciples didn't fully understand these things as John records here. They didn't get all this stuff. They didn't understand his passion and intensity at that time. They didn't understand that when he mentioned the temple that he was talking about his body. They didn't get it all. Sometimes we may not get it all either. But the spirit was good. And when he was raised from the dead, it all kind of clicked. It all came together. And they were all in. They were all in. Jesus did many other things in Jerusalem. And verse 23 points out. He did many other things. And many people believed in his name when they saw the signs. If you grew up in the 90s with me, you can't help but keep thinking of like that song, Ace of Bass. I saw the sign. Okay, no more. I can't get it out of my head. People believed because they saw signs. They were attracted, entertained by Jesus. Oh, this guy has a lot of power and all that. But he says he didn't entrust himself to them. He didn't trust their faith. It wasn't genuine. Their their faith was shallow. It wasn't a surrender to Jesus. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our hearts and he wants to set us free. Because we're his temple now, friends. It's not enough to be attracted to Jesus, to love what he does for us. You know, don't we get caught up in that? Our faith is in the things that he does for us, not in him being good, regardless of how things are going in our lives. I had a conversation at Phileo's the other day with a, with a mom who lost her son in a very tragic way to suicide. And still tears, because the anniversary of that is real. And, 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 and it's like over a decade later, and, and the tears are still there. The hurt is still there. The grief is still real. It's still there. And she said this, that you don't know, and you really don't believe that you, Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. You won't truly believe that Jesus is all you need until you've come to realize Jesus is all you've got. There is nothing else in this world that will satisfy us, that will give us security. And it's not when things are going our way that we we find that Jesus is good. It's really when things suck. We begin to find what is real in this life. The fantasy and fairy tales of what we believe this life is all about. And this isn't heaven. It's all stripped away. It ain't, this ain't our best life now. The cross reminds us of the tragedy and the horror, the corruption and evil of this world. And now there's got to be something more. And that's what God came to save us for. And that suffering we're reminded And we're tested to actually believe and trust in him. When the temple's been cleansed of the things we hold on to. You see, he knows what's in our hearts, friends. He knows what's in our hearts. You and I are the temple of God. 
there's a tendency for us to accumulate what the Bible calls idols. Our hearts get filled up, clogged up with things that are good. It wasn't bad that they uh, bought sacrifices. It wasn't bad that they were changing money. That wasn't the problem among the Jews. That wasn't the issue. It, it was that they brought that into the house of God where it should be, wor- be worshipped. They, 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 they worshipped their convenience, not honoring the one true God. We have the tendency to turn good things into God-like things, into ultimate things in our lives. We call these things idols. Things that we rely on, things that we need, things that give us emotional sense of security, things that give us identity. What are some things, I need your help here. What are some things you think, or, or, or that you recognize in your life that we turn into idols? Good things that become ultimate things. This is audience particip- participation time. A job, our work. Got a watch here. We're going to let it symbolize work. What else? Family. Entertainment. Entertainment. Schedules. Schedules. Well, let's live by a clock. Live by our date book. Food. I'm guilty of eating my emotions. Finding my security in my sweets. What else? Watch out. Don't touch my, don't touch my cell phone. What else? Money. We put our security in money. Not monopoly, but. Yes. Self-medicate, don't we? We need it to. Make it through the li- make it through life, make it make it through the day to numb the pain. It could be liquor, alcohol. That's the same thing. <laughs> Drugs. There's a lot of different things there. What else? Houses. Our property, materialism, love, our stuff. What else? What gets at your heart? What gets at our hearts? How about approval? Validation? Performance? Accomplishments? Jealousy. That was a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder to uh, find something to fit that. Bitterness or unforgiveness, right? I've got Bible trivia here. Sometimes we can worship our knowledge and not the person. 
of Jesus. And you know what? That knowledge alone is empty. Unless it's about Jesus Christ. Unless it's a relationship with him. What else? How about sports? Hobbies? I'll lay down my relationship with Jesus before I lay down my hobby. Right? We'll make sacrifices for our hobbies, but not for Jesus. What else? Education. I don't have anything for education, sorry. How about control? Any of you worship control? Okay, we all do. Let's just be honest. I do. Body image. Doing some curls for the girls. Just one girl. How about politics? Donkey? Elephant? Our health? Stress ball, our peace. How about sex? Take it outside of God's design. These are all good things. But we make them ultimate things. And Jesus, because he loves us, will come in. And he will turn it over. And he will say to each of us. You are my father's house. Don't make it into a house of idols. I love you. I died to set you free. What's in your heart, friends? Because he knows his wounding means your healing. He's not safe, but he's good. Let him clean you out. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on forward. And whether you need to sit and just, and just meditate and, and confess, you need to receive. There's some stuff you've got to get out. Maybe you need to come and receive some prayer. But take it seriously, friends. The Lord wants to do hard things, but good things in you, for you. Jesus, come. Do what it takes. We invite you. We ask you as hard as it may be. There are things that we hold on to. There are things that we cling to. God, that we don't believe we can be okay without them. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us, oh God. With our fear of letting go. With our fear, Lord Jesus, that, 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 that we can be whole. And we can have peace. And we can be healed if we don't hold on to these things. That you are enough. That you are good. Help us, Jesus. Lord, do what it takes to get into my heart. Clean me out, Jesus. Whatever violence you need to do in order to make me whole. 
Lord, so that my love is, is, is exclusive to you, that, that I don't abuse these good things and rely on them, Lord God, and make them ultimate things. But God, you, I rely on you alone. Jesus, come and cleanse us. Come and set us free and restore to us the joy of that salvation. In your name we pray. Amen.